Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers 26. Now here in Numbers 26, if, if you're listening for the first time or you haven't been listening very long, uh, Wednesdays we go through the uh, uh, the Old Testament and then Sunday we go through the New Testament. And uh, in so doing, we get the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, the full counsel. Uh, old interpreting new, new interpreting old. And remember, it's the Lord who says, I never change. You know, the Lord, you know, thus saith the Lord, I never change. And so here we are in chapter 26, and this is the second census of Israel. The first census was in chapter 1, but then at the same time, remember that, uh, uh, it, well, let's just look at chapter 26, in Numbers, uh, chapter 26, verse 64. Verse 64. I know it's not, you know, very rarely to be fast forward to the end, but today we're going to look at the end really quick. Now, Prior to verse sixty-four is those are that's the in accordance to the first census, but look at verse sixty-four it says, but among these there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they were numbered with the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. That was the first census. That's from chapter one, the first census. There was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron. Now remember, Aaron died. So in the second census, it's Moses and Eleazar. It's the son of Aaron, you know. And so we have here uh, you know, uh, uh, Eleazar, the son of Aaron and the, the, uh, the dad of Phineas. Remember, we studied Phineas last week. And uh, so Aaron has died. And so in the second census, we see Moses and Eleazar. And so in verse 65, it says, For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. Now, that's hardcore. If you're listening for the first time, it's like, whoa, what? Like, I thought God was love. I thought God is love. You know, and God is love. But you can never, ever, ever forget that the Lord is reactionary. He's reactionary. And so anytime you see a verse like this, for the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness, which is hardcore. That's like, whoa, what did they do? What did they do? And so if you're listening for the first time, start in Numbers 1 and get caught up to where we're at and you're going to see what happened. You're going to see waywardness. You're going to see uh, 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 deviation from what the Lord taught, what the Lord said. And so anytime you see verses like this, they shall surely die in the wilderness because, you know, we're living in a generation, what, what I refer to as the snowflake generation. You know, and people are just overly sensitive, easily offended, which is a sign of the last days. A sign of the last days, people being offended. Now, since I said it, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Since I said it, I say it every now and then, but, you know, sometimes I say things and it's like, well, I don't know if the people know. So, since I said it, let's look. Matthew 24, verse 10. Verse 10. You know, in, in Matthew 24, it's the disciples who says in verse 3, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's the question that the disciples posed to Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden in chapter 24, he gives uh, 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 signs, signs of his second coming. In verse 10, and then many will be offended. Many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. What does it what does that generation look like that will be easily offended? Well, do we have to ask the question? That's why I say we live in a snowflake generation. 
And in this snowflake generation, there are a lot of teachers who don't like, so-called teachers, they don't like to teach these hardcore verses like in Numbers 26, when in verse 65, when the Lord says, they shall, they shall surely die in the wilderness. Because they don't want their, they know the flock of God is easily offended. And so they don't want to offend. They want to appeal to the feelers. We can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but I don't advocate it. I don't recommend it. Don't, I mean, I say don't do it, but you have a choice. Anytime you see verses like this, they shall surely die in the wilderness. That's a hardcore verse, but you have to ask the question, why? We know what God does. He says, they shall surely die in the wilderness, but why? Why, Lord? What did the people do? What did they do? Now, if you're listening for the first time, Start in Numbers 1. I mean, you can go back to Exodus if you'd like. I mean, I recommend it, but it's going to take you a while, which isn't a bad thing. But listen in Numbers 1, and then all of a sudden, and open up your Bible and follow along, and you're going to see, oh, I can't believe this happened. And, you know, not only, it's not just like the people did this, and then God does this. It's like the people did this, and then there's warning, you know. And that's the theme of the Bible. You know, the people do one thing, and then God sends prophets. God sends his messengers. Hey, tell the people to repent. Tell the people to repent. So look at the, 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 the prophets. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea. Tell my people to repent. Tell them to repent. What did the people do? This is a hardcore verse. They shall surely die in the wilderness. And you have to ask, what, what did they do? And then you find out. And you know what? It's very, very helpful. You know, it's for, you know, what did they do? It's very helpful when you're on the outside looking in. But once you understand what the people do and then how God responds, and he responds with grace and mercy. A lot of times you see grace and mercy multiple times. You know, the people do one thing, then you see grace and mercy. The people do another thing, grace and mercy. The people do another thing, grace and mercy. The people do another thing, judgment. What did the people do? What did the people do? But when you ask that question and then you search as a Berean and then you find out what the people had done, you're going to understand the character of the Lord and it will help you in your own walk for another question. What did I do? What did I do? It will help you. Because sometimes people are in a situation, they're like, oh man, God, you know, God doesn't love me. He put me in this situation. No, no, no. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. You've done this yourself. Oh, I, you know, I, I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed. You know, Satan is attacking me. You know, I, I'm not, you know, trying to have sympathy for the devil. But in a lot of a lot of times, you know, oh, you know, uh, Satan is oppressing me. Satan is oppressing me, and then you know, you ask questions. Okay, what's the situation, brother? What's the situation, sister? Oh, look, my situation is looks like this, and it's like this. And how did you get there, brother, sister? How did you get there? And then you know, start pinpointing. Well, I did this. I said this. I did this. Did this. Wait a second. That's. That looks like you walked into that scenario. It kind of looks like you kind of set yourself up for the, this present. It's, it looks to me like you're reaping what you have sown. And we know the Lord is reactionary. And do you remember several months ago when I said, you know, you know, you see these hardcore verses and then you say, what did they do? What did they do? And you find out what did they do? 
And remember how I said it helps you for this hardcore question, what did I do? Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember. Okay. Uh, well, let's apply that. What did you do, brother? What did you do, sister? We ask it of ourselves. Remember, Paul is the one who says, if, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be condemned. Oh, I don't like judgment. I don't like judgment. Well, it's much, much better for you to judge yourself, you know, in accordance with the word of God. Don't judge yourself with, you know, you know uh, something outside the Bible. It's much better for you to judge yourself and then have a loving brother, loving sister, even they judge you. And not judge like, you know, oh, you know, you're going to burn in hell. But to judge and make an assessment and a determination and say, look, you know, you got to put down the crack pipe. Look, you got to put down the pornography. Don't do that. You got to put down the sex. You got you have to be a new creation. That's the old man. That's the old woman. You got to quit that. A loving brother, loving sister, because we know the Lord is reactionary. These are things, you know, the Lord is painted in such a negative light today. Because, you know, it, it, it was always done before in the past, but he's painted in such a negative light. And it's even amplified greater because of this snowflake generation. Overly sensitive. Now, if you are overly sensitive, I love you. But you got to cut it out. That's, that's, that's a dangerous mindset. I mean, look at... Look at kids today who are coddled by their parents. I get why they're coddled. You know, you could say, well, it's lovingly, it's loving, it's, it's loving to coddle your children. I can understand if the child is like five months old. But when a child is 10 years old, are you going to coddle that child the same way? Oh, I, I do it for love. I do it for love. I get it. I understand. But the world is a brutal place. It's bringing harm to the child if they're not prepared for this world of brutality. And then the 15-year-old, are, are you still going to coddle this 15-year-old? And the whole time this kid has no experience with any um, the emotional hardships that they themselves have to deal with, wrestle with, and be guided into how to properly do that. By a godly mom, by a godly dad. They've been coddled. Ever since they were a brand new baby. Five months, five years, ten years, fifteen years. And then finally they're 23 years old. And they finally leave house. Kind of a liberal home. So instead of leaving at age 18, they're gone at age 24. Maybe the child leaves at age 30. Because you know, liberal home, they've been coddled. They get into the world, they're adult, you know, big, strong, they got the muscles, they got the hairy chest, and he's like, wow, this is, an, uh, this is a man. Wow, he goes out in the world, little baby, easily offended. So, wow, he looks like a man, but he doesn't behave like, he behaves like a little boy. You see, they're not prepared. They're not prepared. You see it in the natural world. The natural world testifies of these things. You see it. Now, take that exact same concept and apply it with our faith. If you're easily offended, I love you. I love you. 
But you have to see for yourself the danger of that mindset. It doesn't prepare you well. Oh, but my mom and dad, they love me. I get it. I get it. They love you. But you know what? Even, you know, it's, it, you know, like you see like a baby, a baby bird. I don't know what you call them. I don't know if there's a term for that. I just say baby bird. But the mom, you know, they, they kick him out of the nest. And that baby had, you know, if that, ba- that baby has never flown before and is in the nest and the mom comes in and boop, you know, a little tap. And <laughs> that little baby bird better flap its wings. Because if it doesn't flap its wings, it has a short period of time by which there's going to be pain. The baby bird starts flapping its wings and then all of a sudden, you know, starts flying by himself, by herself. You know, preparation for the next generation. And so look what happens here in verse 65. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And so what's so beautiful about this is, remember, they stood for the Lord. When, when all the camp of Israel, when, when all the camp of Israel, when they, when they didn't stand for the Lord and they were like, oh, let's, you know, let's go. We, we had it so good in, in, in Egypt. The two who stood, Caleb and Joshua. Of course, there was Moses and Aaron too, but I'm speaking about the next generation. A remnant. This remnant that didn't experience the death in the wilderness. Very interesting. A generation, which is, you know, a a remnant because it was only two. A generation that did not experience death in the wilderness. Very interesting. Just like the last day's generation. A generation that will not experience death. Isn't it beautiful how the Old Testament teaches us? Now, I know, you know, you might say, well, why, why didn't we wait for the end to get to that? Because we're going to look at some passages in Numbers 26. Let's go back to verse 1 now. We're going to look at some passages which explain the, the, the lineage, the genealogy. And the census is different from chapter 1 because what happens in chapter 1, not everybody makes it to chapter 26. There's this division just like in, you know, when we studied 1 Corinthians, you know, you heard me say that, you know, uh, the, the, the number of people, the census of Corinth, the census of the Corinthian church in chapter 1 is different from the census in 1 Corinthians 16. You see, the numbers, the census, the enumeration, the sum of people, the population. Different. Why? Well, look in between what happens in between 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 16? There's a lot of stuff that happens in between. Truth. Truth of God's holy word. And what happens with truth of God's holy word? What happens? Division happens. Remember, it's the Lord who says, I didn't come to bring peace. Don't. Do you suppose I came to bring peace? Those are his words, not mine. I'm just a messenger. Do you suppose that I came to bring peace? He says, I tell you, I came to divide. Not at all, he says, I came to divide. Those are his words. And that's what happens with truth. Truth divides. Because people have to make a choice. Oh, I don't want to listen to this guy. He's too mean. He's too mean-spirited. So I'm going to go to this other guy who whispers sweet nothings in my ear. You're free to do that. 
But is it right? Is it healthy? It's much better for feelings, for your feelings, for my feelings. It's much better for our little feelers to get hurt. Much better for that to happen than to burn in hell. That's my perspective. I would much rather my little feelers get hurt than to burn in hell. I would much rather the truth of God's holy word confront my own carnal nature even when it hurts my little feelers. Because when that happens, I can make a change. And what is the change? Repent. Repent. You say, oh, you don't do that. God makes the change. Okay, let him. You see, let him. Yield to him. Yield to his word. Yield to truth. Because if you don't yield to truth, that's the division. You remember, the wheat and the tares grow together until the end. Don't forget, we're living in very treacherous times. And there's a lot of people who will love to whisper sweet nothings in your ear and say, oh yeah, open up your wallet. A lot of people, they're everywhere. But it's much better for your little feelers and my little feelers to be hurt. Because then we can change. Oh, we don't make the change. The Holy Spirit does it. Okay, yield to Him then. You see? So now we get into chapter 26, verse 1. Now, remember last week, there was a plague. Not last week, but I meant in our study last week in, in Numbers 25, there was a plague. And what was the plague? It was as a, a result of sin, a result of the carnal nature. When the people in chapter 25, verse 1, they invited, you know, they invited the people to sacrifice to, uh, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. In verse 3, so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Instead of bowing down to the Lord and worshiping him, they bowed down to Baal. That's what happened. And then the plague came and the plague was spreading and you have Beautiful, beautiful Phineas, son of Eleazar, also grandson of Aaron. Remember the, the influence of Papa and Grandpa for beautiful Phineas? And by his action, by his stand for righteousness, the plague stopped and he was blessed of the Lord. Shalom, shalom. And so we see here in verse 26, and it came to pass after the plague. Very interesting. This is an Old Testament metatauta, if you will. After the plague. An Old Testament metatauta. For, for, for you uh, um, eschatology students. <laughs> and it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, so Moses and Eleazar now, before in the first census, it was Moses and Aaron, but Aaron died. And so he says here uh, 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 that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, take a census, which is the sum, take the census. Now, 
very interesting what we see in verse 1. I forgot to mention, but you see Moses and Eleazar. These are all types of Christ. But Moses as a deliverer and Eleazar as high priest. All types of Christ. Jesus Christ the deliverer. Jesus Christ the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's what's so powerful about these studies through the Old Testament. Because we see a lot of typology. A lot of typology all over the place. In people, in places, in things, in areas, in... Oh, remember the door? You know, in our study in Leviticus, you hear me mention the door, the door, the door, the door. That will help you in your study through the Old Testament, even the New Testament. But it will help you. And so we see here in verse 2, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses all who were able to go to war in Israel. Very interesting. Very interesting. It's the exact same as chapter 1. All who were able to go to war, except we see a little bit different, something a little different, because in chapter 1, Israel wasn't tested. They, they were, you know, all who were able to go to war. They might have been able to go to war, but what happened when they went to war? Casualties. You see? Now, when you see in the second census, all who were able to go to war, you see something a little bit different because these are tested people, battle-hardened people, the metal of a man, the metal of a woman. You say, well, wait a second. What are you talking about, women? Well, as new covenant believers, remember, in Christ, there's no male, female. And we're going to touch on some things. The medal of a, of, a, of a man, the medal of a woman, battle-tested. Uh, people who are equipped, not just equipped, thoroughly equipped. So there's, you're going to see differences from the first census and the second census. And it might not jump off the pages because, I mean, you know, the, from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who were able to go to war in Israel. That's almost the same exact verbiage as in chapter 1. But... In our study through Numbers 1 through where we are today, you say, okay, I see the difference. It's a different people. A different people. And that's what's so beautiful about growing in Christ, maturing in Christ. Because you might be a brand new believer. And say, oh, yeah, I'm able to go to war. I'm able to go to war. And then all of a sudden, you're going to feel like, man, I feel like a casualty of war. Because, man, I'm getting beat up left and right. Okay. You know, I used to have a friend, I don't want to get into carnalities, but I used to have a friend who loved getting beat up. I mean, he, he was a brawler. And he used to love getting beat up. And I thought it was the weirdest thing. Why do you like getting beat up? Because he says, I like to know what my weaknesses are. I like to know where I need to train harder. Because, you know, it, it helps me become a more, a better fighter. And he was a really good fighter. Re really good fighter. And I, I, I used to ask, like, why? I mean, not, not, not all the time, but I remember, or I used to wonder, like, why, why does he like getting beat up? And then finally he just told me. Because I, I, I like to know where I need to improve upon. 
I need to know my weaknesses where I'm not smart in, in one area. I don't, I'm not a, you know, I need to think quicker. I need to adapt to this situation, to this hold. I need to strike like this. And, you know, he likes knowing that so that when it happens again, I mean, <laughs> they were quite frequent. <laughs> this is before Christ days, BC days. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so he just wanted to know what his weaknesses are. But it helped him to be a better fighter. But, you know, if you feel like you're getting beat up left and right, spiritually speaking, you know, flip the, flip the token. There's, you know, every coin has another side. There's even beauty behind that because it's like, okay, I'm getting beat up in this area. Why is that happening? Well, is it because I'm weak in this? Okay, and if the answer is yes, then you have to make a change. You have to adjust and you have to train up so that when the attack happens, you're ready. You know, you be, because you have this propensity for weakness in one area, you know, okay, I got to beef up this area. And I'm just speaking about individually, but what about in the camp of the church? In the camp of the church, you say, wait a second, I, I have a weakness in this area. Then boom, we can link shields. Boom, there I am right there. I say to you, oh, I have this weakness in this area. Boom, there you are, link shields. There's the individual aspect of, you know, I have this weakness. Okay, now let's, you know, let's be fully equipped. But there's, there's the corporate, you know, sense of what is the weakness. And then boom, we link shields. You, me, and all who believe. The camp of the church. And so what do we see here? All who are able to go to war. In, I mean, if you've been listening for a while, you might understand. Okay, I get it. But if you're a new listener, go back to our study in Numbers 1. Go back to our study in Numbers 1 and get yourself caught up. And then what's going to happen? You're going to understand. You're going to get it. The testing. And so here we see in verse 3, So Moses and Eleazar the priest spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. I love this so much because you see obedience. And yes, the first generation will die. And yes, that is hardcore. But understand, the Lord is reactionary. And you have to ask yourself, why do they die? It's a form of judgment. It's a form of judgment. And when you understand the people, how, I mean, just in chapter 5, verse 3, they're joined to Baal. I mean, you, so you're going to, when I say like you're going to see why, you know, they die in the wilderness, well, they, the Lord is reactionary. You see, the people made their choice. They bowed down, they bowed down to Baal. This is one of many, but they bowed down to Baal. Now, you might think, oh, the Israel, they're, you know, how could they do that? Okay. Remember I said how the Old Testament is full of a lot of topology? Put yourself in Israel's shoes. Put your Israel inside of you. Who do you bow down to? The Lord? Jesus Christ and only Him? Or Jesus Christ along with alcohol, along with drugs, crack, coke, 
along with pornography, sex, strip clubs, along with, you see, a lot of typology in the Old Testament for, for a reason. Brother Paul says these things are written for our admonition, for our warning. And this first generation shall die, which is hardcore. But look at in your own self, in typology, your first generation when you're born into Adam in accordance to the flesh. You say, whoa, I don't get it. You're listening for the first time. Say you're a first time listener. Like, I don't understand what he's talking about. Okay, it's perfectly okay. Now, go back to Numbers 1 and get yourself caught up and then go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and get yourself caught up because you're going to see and understand. You're born, every single one of us are born into Adam. The natural man, the natural woman in accordance to the flesh. But not everybody is born again into Christ. The first generation being born in the flesh must die. The second generation, that's the generation that enters the promised land here in accordance to the law, in accordance to the Old Testament. But the same applies to you and me. You cannot be an unbeliever and enter the promised land. You have to be a believer. You have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How does that happen? If that's you, if you're a non-believer in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. And you want Him as Lord. You want Him as Savior. Hit pause and listen to a message how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Listen to that. Say the sinner's prayer. And then come back and let's listen together. Let's study together. A lot of people give me a lot of flack. Oh, that's easy believism. Easy believism. What's hard about believing? What's hard about believing? Oh, that's easy believism. Therefore, we got to do the, uh, the catechism. You have to memorize all these things. 500 words. You got to memorize all this. And, you know, catechism number one, two, three, four, all these things. And we can look at the, you know, we can, we can pick apart the catechism because there's aspects of the catechism which are biblically unsound. Biblically unsound. We studied that a little bit in our study through Romans. We made mention of that. But, you know, you, you talk like a 13-year-old a, a, a kid. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus. Oh, praise be to the Lord. You can be my brother, but you have to memorize the catechism. What? Where do you see that in the Bible? Now, remember Philip in the, in the Ethiopian eunuch? And the Ethiopian was like straight up, you know, I, I, I believe. What's preventing me from being baptized right here, right now? And Philip, Philip made sure he counted the cost. And the Ethiopian was like, let's do it. Boom. Baptism right there. No catechism. <laughs> you see? Now, I get it. I, I, I get the rationale behind it, the carnal rationale behind it. I get the carnal rationale because, you know, oh, I, I just want to make sure this person believes. Or a pastor to say, oh, we just got to, in order to be accountable, we want to make sure this person believes so that he or she knows what he's getting into. Understand, so that they understand what they're doing, the commitment that they're making. 
But I tell you the truth, when I became a believer, I had no idea what was set before me. I had no idea. And you know what? If I did, I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I might have chickened out. <laughs> you know, I might have, you know, look at the Lord in Peter. You know, when, when, when Peter came to the Lord, the Lord didn't say on day one, oh yeah, Peter, you're, you're, you're going to die for me. He didn't tell him. He told him after. He told him, you know, after, after, after the Lord already, after uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection, at the, the breakfast they had. Peter, you're going to die. Peter, you're going to die. That's what he told him. Deeper, heavier spiritual things, subject matter, deeper concepts come after belief. So a lot of times people get on my case, oh, that's easy believism, easy believism. But you know, what's, what's hard about believing in Jesus Christ? What's, what's hard about that? Biblically speaking, where is it difficult in the Bible? For a person to become, for a person to be a non-believer and to believe in Jesus Christ, where do you see difficulty in the Bible? For a brand new believer. No, I mean, you see it in the world. You see it in churches. You see it in fellowships. You see it in denominations. But where do you see it in the Bible? You don't. Where you see the hardship is for the person who already believes in applying the truth of God's holy word. That's where you see the hardship, which shows us the need for teachers to equip, not just equip, to thoroughly equip, to train up. We roll around on the mat. We fight hand-to-hand combat. You see? Train, spiritually speaking. And we train up so that you're equipped in this second generation, not according to Adam, but according to Christ. Do you see what's happening in our study through Numbers? Now, we're going to look, we're going to start verse 5, but some of these tribes, not some, but all of these tribes, you know, in chapter 5, you have the 12 tribes. Chapter 5, Reuben, or not, uh, verse 5, Reuben, verse 12, Simeon, verse 15, Gad, 19, Judah, 23, Issachar, 26, Zebulun, 28, Manasseh, 35, Ephraim, 38, Benjamin, 42, Dan, 44, Asher, 48, Naphtali. And then we're going to get into the Levitical priesthood. 12 tribes. Now, these tribes that we're going to look at, they come with a little history lesson of the lineage. And there's references to uh, uh, Genesis. And the, the, the birth of these, you know, they, these, uh, 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 these children, Reuben and the, the 12. Here in verse 5, <clears throat> in verse 5, <clears throat> Reuben, Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. The children of Reuben were Hanok, the family of the Hanokites, of Palu, the family of the Palulites, of Hezron, the family of Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites who were, who were, who, those who were numbered 
of them were 43,730. And the son of Palu was Eliab. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah. Remember we studied that? Korah. And those who followed him, Dathan and Abiram, Korah was a Levite, a spiritual leader. When they contended against the Lord, he says in verse 9. Now remember, Korah was a bad priest. He, he led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. You see? In verse 10, And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. This is so beautiful. I mean, it's hardcore what's happening. I mean, we see that, you know, Korah and his company died. The earth opened up and swallowed them. Women, children, they were devoured. Whoa, that's hardcore. But remember, what did they do? The Lord is reactionary. What did they do? Well, there was a rebellion. Rebellion against the Lord. And so in this rebellion against the Lord, the Lord reacted. He responded. But verse 11 is key. And we studied this already, but just a little refresher course. The children of Korah did not die. Remember, we, we went into passages in the Psalms about the children of Korah. They became psalmists. What a beautiful message for the younger generation. Now, if you're in the young generation... If you're a kid, you know, I don't know how young you are. I don't know how old you are. You might be, a, you know, I think 30-year-olds are kids. I call 32-year-olds kids, you know, 35-year-olds. I'll still call them kids. I have a friend who's in his uh, pushing 90. He refers to like 70-year-olds as kids, 60-year-olds as kids. But if you're of the younger generation and your family's in crazy town, your parents are in crazy town, you know, grandfathers in crazy town. Everybody's just crazy town. Be of good cheer. And remember the children of Korah. Remember the children. Yes, Korah did some bad things. Yes, Korah led a rebellion. Yes, Korah did this. They, he led this rebellion into crazy town. But the children became psalmists. Be of good cheer if, you know, if everybody's crazy and it's like, you know, you're standing for the Lord and it's like people rebellion, rebelling here, rebellion here, rebellion there, rebellion here, there. It's like, well, wait a second. Be of good cheer because even the sons of Korah became psalmists. Wrote praises unto the Lord. You see, you make your stand. You make your stand and let this seed of righteousness start with you. You see, I mean, even the stump have even the stump had rods. Even the stump had shoots. To those who have ears, in verse twelve, the sons of Simeon, according to their families, were of Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the family of the Jaminites, of Jakin, the family of the Jakinites, of Zerah, the family of the Zarites, of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites. These are the families of the Simeonites, 22,200. The sons of Gad, according to their families, were of Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, of Hag Haggai, uh, the family of the Haggites, of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Ozni, the family of the Oznites, of Eri, the family of the Erites, 
of Erod, the family of the Erodites, of Areli, the family of the Arelites. These are the families of the sons of Gad, according to those who were numbered among them, 40,500. The sons of Judah were Er and Onan, and Er Onan, Onan died in the land of Canaan. Remember, these have little history lessons because you're going to look at Genesis and you're going to see, what is, okay, I see this. You know, If you do an accounting, you're going to look at Genesis and be like, oh yeah, I see the lineage here. What you're going to see, the exclusion of the names from Numbers 1. Why? Because that's the generation that dies. In the wilderness. This second generation. This is the generation that's going to move on to the promised land. So verse 19. The sons of Judah. Were Er and Onan. And Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Judah according to their families. Were of Shelah. The family of the Shelanites. Of Perez. The family of the Parzites. Of Zerah. The family of the Zarites. And the sons of Perez were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. The, these are the families of Judah according to those who were numbered of them, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, the sons of Issachar, beautiful Issachar, the sons of Issachar, according to their, <laughs> the sons of Issachar. According to their families were of Tola, the family of the Tolites, the, of Pua, the family of the Punites, of Jeshub, the family of the Jeshubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites. These are the families of Issachar according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun according to their families were of Zered, the family of the, Zer uh, of the Sardites, uh, um, of Elon, the family of the Elonites. Of Jalil, the family of Jalilites. These are the families of, of the, the Zebulonites, according to those who were numbered of them, 60,500. Verse 28, the sons of Joseph, the sons of Joseph. This is beautiful because, I mean, it's all beautiful. But the sons of Joseph, now remember, Joseph was renamed in Egypt, Zafnath Panea. Zafnath Panea, remember? We have this uh, accounting of what we've studied already in Genesis. The sons of Joseph. Remember, Joseph was renamed Zaphnath Panea, and he also had a Gentile wife named Asnath. Asnath, an Egyptian wife. And they had a, 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 a Gentile wife, and they had little Gentile babies. Now, you know, I shouldn't say Gentile, but they're like half. Half and half. They have babies. What about Joseph as a type of Christ with a Gentile bride? You see? How, you see a lot of typology in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament too. But my goodness, you see a lot of it in the Old Testament. Joseph as a type of Christ with a, a Gentile bride. Asnath. And so we see here the sons of Joseph. Now, if you've been with us for a long time, you've been walking with us for a long time, you remember our study in Genesis and you know how difficult it was to, to, to see and understand and the hardships of Joseph abandoned by his brothers, you know, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. And you see a little bit of light, you know, when he came, you know, worked in Potiphar's house, but then boom, thrown into prison. 
then how the Lord raised him up for the famine. Like to glorify him, to save Egypt. Look at the hardships of Joseph. And you know, when you look at these hardships of Joseph, look at the blessing it is for this next generation. And not just the next generation, his kids. But the next generation, what about his kids' kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids? The next generation on down the line. And I say this specifically to to address your own present hardships. In your own present hardships. Yes, you're going to have some silver linings. But think about the next generation. And not just the next generation. The next generation after them. Their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids. People you will never meet. Because you would have died if the Lord tarries. You'll be long gone, but yet you're kind of greasing the skids, so to speak. Setting the generation on the right path. Just like Joseph did. Because here we have in his lineage, you have this beautiful lineage and, you know, a lineage that is entering the promised land. And I say this to your your older folks. You know, I have a little message for the young people, message for the old people. A lot of old people feel kind of down, like, wow, there's nothing I can do. I'm old. I can't be a missionary. I'm old. I can't teach. I'm old. I can't do this. I can't do this. Okay, you're old. But look at what you can do. You see? Look at what you can do in preparing the way for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next and the next and the next people you will never meet if the Lord should tarry. People you will never meet. But yet even still you're preparing a way. The sons of Joseph in verse 28, according to their families by Manasseh and Ephraim, were the sons of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was firstborn but second blessed by Jacob. If you remember our study through Genesis 48. Even Joseph thought that Jacob was making a mistake. Oh, you know, my dad can't see. His, his eyes are a little, you know, his, his, something wrong with his vision. He's old. His, even his vision is going out and he doesn't realize that he's blessing the, uh, uh, the second. But Jacob said, I know Joseph. I know Joseph. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless the second born. Even an example for the, the, the church today. Second born, the blessing on, you know, you and me both, we have two births. I mean, to those who believe, we have two births. First born into Adam. Our, our, our first birth is unto Adam, the flesh. Second birth is unto Christ, born again. You see, where is the blessing? The second born, Jacob unto Ephraim. You see, more typology in the Old Testament. The blessing on being born again. 
But here we are in verse 29. The sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of Machirites, of Machir, and Machir begot Gilead, and of Gilead, the family of the Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Helek, the family of the Helekites, of Asriel, the family of the Asrielites, of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites. Verse 32, of Shemida, the family of the Shemidati, Shemid, Shemida. Shemidites of Hefer, the family of the Heferites. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hever, had no sons. <laughs> I, love, I love this so much. I'm so in love with Zelophehad. Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. How beautiful is this? He had no sons. And he has daughters who are named in the census. How beautiful is this? Now, in the census number one, from, from Numbers chapter one, very male. You don't see females in the census in Numbers chapter one. You don't see females. You see the females here in Numbers 26, the second census. Remember, this is the lineage of Joseph, sons of Joseph. And the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, they became tribes. You see? And here you have females in this, you know, with the Gentile wife. What do we know as New Covenant believers? In Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. In Christ, there's no male nor female. You see? And what do we see the inclusion of with Manasseh and Ephraim through Joseph with his Gentile wife, with Zaphnath Paneah and his marriage unto Asnath, the Egyptian, the Gentile. You see, Jew and Gentile, male, female. And here we have beautiful Zelophehad, had no sons. I wonder what that house looked like, you know, wife and a bunch of daughters. Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't say, oh my goodness, in a bad way. I say, oh my goodness, like how beautiful that is. You know, a bunch of, a bunch of females. Pouring into the daughters. Teaching the daughters righteousness. Being an, an example to the daughters. You know, daughters, you're going to grow up, you know. You're going to have a husband one day. And for a dad to be a, an exemplary model. You know, you have a lot of defunct dads, so to speak who are poor models. And so the daughters grow up and they say, okay, you know, I'm going to marry this guy. I see how my dad treats my, my, my mom, so I'm going to marry this guy. And, you know, the dad sets the bar so low and then, you know, daughter marries, you know, schlep. That's not good. But, you know, you set the bar high. If you're a dad, you set the bar high. Have purpose. Have purpose in your walk. I mean, of course, I mean, there's the purpose of, you know, entering the promised land, but that's the purpose for you. What about purpose for the sake of others? I'm going to be a godly dad. I'm going to be a godly husband. I'm going to be a godly dad because, you know, when baby girl, she's going to grow up and get a husband. And I want her husband not be like me, but to be better, to exceed, to be even better. That's how high I'm going to set the bar. 
Baby girl says, oh, you know, I, I met this guy, you know, and the guy's a schlep. You know, you set the bar low. But you set the bar high. And that next generation of righteousness, you know, have godly babies. They can do the same. You know, you pray for them. You're an old man. You know, you have your grandbabies, you know, just like you have with Phineas. Look at Phineas. Phineas with dad Eleazar and grandpa Aaron. And look at how Phineas had shalom, shalom in our study last week. Shalom, shalom. You see how beautiful this is? So a lot of times you see like, well, wait a second. This, this guy is a good influence on, you know, Aaron is a good influence on Eleazar and is a good, who is a good, and both are good influences on Phineas. But in accordance to Zelophehad, don't forget the girls. Don't forget the daughters. You see? Don't forget Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa. You see? Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa. You got a little basketball team. You see? How beautiful is this to teach and to show the next generation of righteousness? How beautiful is this, you know? This beautiful, I say, look at the, I wonder what the home looked like, but I, you know, I wonder what the tent looked like. Beautiful, beautiful tent. You know what's so beautiful about these people? It's like, you don't really, I mean, you, you see in, in our previous chapters in Numbers, you see like, you know, there's a remnant. But what's so beautiful is like, you know, we don't really see the names. We don't see the names of the people. We know that there's a remnant, but we don't see the names until we get to Numbers 26. And you start to see, oh, these are the names. This is the remnant. When Israel did, when the multitude of people went this way and they denied, they followed Korah. They followed all these people and they were disobedient to the Lord. Look at what's happening in, with, in Zelophehad's tent. Zelophehad talking to his girls. Hey, come here, girls. You know that Korah guy? He's dangerous. Don't listen to him. You see? Oh, but he's a priest, Papa. He's a priest, Papa. I know he's a priest, but he's not obedient to the Lord. Okay, Papa. Okay, Papa. Look, I know, you know, there's this rebellion out there. We're just going to stay in our tent. We're going to stay in our tent here. Let me tell you stories. Look at what the Lord did back in the day. Look at what the Lord did for us. Look what the Lord did for our people. Yeah, baby girls growing up. Beautiful Mela, beautiful Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa. Learning righteousness. And you have Zelophehad pouring into the next generation of righteousness. In verse 34, these are the families of Manasseh. And those who were numbered of them were 52,700. Verse 35, these are the sons of Ephraim. The, the, the second born of Joseph, but first blessed of Jacob. You know, listen to our study through Genesis 48. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to the families of uh, Shetula, the family of the Shetulites, of Beker, the family of Bekrites, of Tehan, the family of the Tehanites. And these are the sons of Shetula, uh, uh, Shetula, Shutela of Aran, the family of the Aaronites. These are the families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,500. 
These are the sons of Joseph according to their families. I love this so much because you have Joseph and, you know, with his Gentile wife, Zafnath Paneah, with his Gentile wife, Egyptian wife. How beautiful is that? Gentile wife. For you and me as Gentiles, I assume that, you know, there might be some Jews listening. Praise be to the Lord. If you're Jew, I love you. If you're Gentile, I love you. If you're Arab, I love you. If you're listening and you're, you know, of Ishmael, don't forget that how the promises of the Lord in accordance to, in accordance to the promise of the Lord in accordance to our study through Genesis, family. Jesus Christ is who unifies. Jesus Christ is who unifies. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too shall the Son of Man be lifted. That those who look on Him might be saved. You and me, I don't care, Jew, Gentile, Arab of Ishmael. I don't care. We look at Jesus Christ. You see how beautiful? And the Lord, unity in Christ. And the Word became flesh. In verse 38, the sons of Benjamin, according to the families, were of, <clears throat> were of Bela, the family of the Belaites, uh, 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 of Ishbel, the family of the Ishbelites, of Ahiram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shufam, the family of Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites, and the sons of Bela were Ard and Named, of Ard, the family of the Ardites, of Naaman, the family of the Naamites. These are the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, and those who were numbered, uh, numbered of them were 45,600. <clears throat> if you're listening for the first time, you haven't been listening very long, and you hear these pauses, the majority of times you hear these pauses, like 90% of the time, I have to drink hot tea. Or coffee. I have to drink because my throat is on fire, and so like I have to, I have to drink. It's for my throat, so that that's why if you hear these pauses, you're like, you know, here I am reading. You know, those who were numbered of them were forty five thousand six hundred, and then there's this long pause. You know, that's why because I have to drink this tea. So verse forty two. These are the sons of Dan according to their families of Shuham, the family of the Shumites. These are the families of Dan according to their families. All the families of the Shumites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. Now, I have to say this too. Now, there's a lot of times when through these genealogies where uh, 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 some teachers, they'll say, well, this is just the genealogy, so we're just going to skip this part and go to the next chapter. Or we're going to, you know, we're going to end here. It's just a bunch of names and, you know, genealogy, so we're not going to look at that. You're going to see that. You see that sometimes when people, you see a lot of the begets. This person begets this, begets this, begets. And a lot of teachers, you know, they skip over that. I don't do that. I don't do that because when I stand before the Lord, I want to have a clear conscience in this life and in the life to come. <laughs> because to tell the Lord, you know, I gave them, you know, your, your full word, every jot, every tittle, the full counsel of your word, there was nothing skipped. And so that's why, you know, sometimes it's like, man, why does this guy just skip over this? You know, well, I, I'm not going to skip over this. So this is you being able to minister to me because, you know, by you listening, because, 
you know, I want to stand before the Lord one day and say, you know, Lord, I gave that. You know, these genealogies that a lot of people skip, I don't want to skip it. Because if I skipped it, I couldn't tell you, Lord, that, you know, I gave them, you know, everything of your word. I'd have to say, Lord, I gave them a little bit of your word, but I skipped the genealogies. I don't want to say that to the Lord. I want to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I just, I, I poured everything into them, into your people. I poured everything into them. You know, the genealogies, everything, even the hard parts, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. You say, whoa, what is it? What do you mean ugly? Well, look at the worshiping Baal. That's ugly. That's bad and ugly. That's what I'm talking about. Lord, I gave them everything. The beautiful parts, the bad parts, the hard parts, the genealogies, everything. So if you're wondering, like, why is this guy reading these? He can't even pronounce these things. That's why. Because I want to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I gave them everything. Every jot and every tittle of your word. So here we are in verse 44. The sons of Asher, according to the families, were Jimna, the family of the Jimna, uh, Jim, Jimnites, the, uh, of, of Jesui, the family of the Jesuits, of Beriah, the family of the Berites. Of the son of Beriah of Hebar, of the sons of Beriah of Heber, the family of the Heberites, of Malkiel, the family of the Malkielites. And the name of the daughter of, of Asher was Sarah. These are the families of the sons of Asher. Notice uh, females. What we see in this second census. I love this so much. I mean, if you're in chap and for my sisters in Christ. There's a lot of times we study the Old Testament and even the New Testament where it's male-centric. Male-centric. But don't forget, in Christ, there's no male-female in Christ. There's no male-female. Now, there's order. There's structure. There's order. But even still, don't forget, we have these beautiful people like Lydia. Our study in the New Testament, we have Lydia. We have uh, Phoebe. We have uh, 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 the uh, mama and grandma of little Timmy. You see, be of good cheer. How beautiful is this that in the second census, the ones who go to the promised land, we see this inclusion of like, wow, you know, you see more females than you do in the first census. And the first census, that's the generation that dies. You see? But then the next generation, there has to be death in order to pass on to the next generation. In, in order to pass on to the promised land. And so what do we see here in uh, in verse 47? These are the families of the son of Asher, according to those who were numbered of them, 53,400. The sons of Naphtali, according to, the, to their families, were of Jaziel, the family of the Jazilites, of Guni, the family of the Gunites, of Jazer, the family of the Jezrites, of Shilem, the family of the Shilamites. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. These are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, so that's, that's the numbers, that's the census, that's the census. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. Very interesting that the word inheritance is mentioned here because it's it's mentioned for this people going into the promised land. Because you don't see the word inheritance in this particular in this particular context in terms of the promised land. You don't see the word inheritance prior to Numbers twenty six. But here we are, we see it specifically mentioned for this generation that's entering the promised land. Turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 20, a little refresher course, because we studied Acts 20 already. 
And in Acts 20, in verse, remember the Miletus meeting, how the, the, the elders of Ephesus, how Moses or, or, or uh, uh, Paul called for you know, this meeting of the elders in Ephesus. He said, hey, come meet me in Miletus. We're going to have a little meeting. And this meeting, the exhortation unto unto uh, 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 unto the elders, and in verse thirty, Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty, he says, uh, "Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves." He gives a little warning. He says, "Even you, that's why you hear us say from time to time, even shepherds can become wolves, and shepherds will become wolves in the last days." And Paul says, even from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. Military term. Therefore, watch to be on guard, to keep awake, to be vigilant. Watch. And remember. In other words, don't forget. In other words, bind these truths on your heart, on your mind. Meditate on these things. Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things in accordance with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I love this three years. It seems to be a theme with Brother Paul. For three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and they ate nonstop. Paul was just nonstop. I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So that so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. You see, the logos. Remember, the word became flesh. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance you see an inheritance among all those who are sanctified how beautiful is this the inheritance for not for the generation that dies not for your birth into unto adam but your birth unto christ born again unto christ What do you mean born again? What do you mean born again? To be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be born again. If that's not you, if you're listening and you're not a believer, <clears throat> I don't care who you are, where you are, where you're from, your background, whatever, you know, whatever background, I could care less. You're not here by accident. You receive Jesus Christ right here, right now. I like to tell people, get in the ark. Get in the ark because judgment is coming. Remember Jesus Christ says, I tell you these things beforehand so that when they happen, you might believe. You might say, oh, I don't believe. I'm not a non-believer. I don't need you Christians. You're so crazy. I used to be a Christian or, you know, I, I, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And then all of a sudden you look at the events in the world, the things that are happening in the world. Prophecy being fulfilled. And then you start to wonder, oh, you know, I remember the Christian guy was telling me, a Christian lady, I had a co-worker, a Christian lady was telling me about the last days. I thought she was crazy back then, but now it's happening. And remember the words of Jesus, Jesus Christ? He says, I tell you these things beforehand so that when they happen, you might believe. <laughs> 
You know who he's speaking of? You, my beloved friend. You. You woke up this morning. You didn't believe in Jesus Christ. You put your head on your pillow tonight as a brand new, fresh baby in Christ. So, oh, don't offend me. I'm not, I'm not a baby. Well, you have to grow. A brand new believer in Christ. Now you have to grow. And if that's you, you hit pause. And you listen to the message, how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And we grow together. You and me both, we grow together. The old man, death in the wilderness. The old woman, death in the wilderness. The new man, the new woman. We're going to paradise. Just as Brother Paul says here to the, in this Miletus meeting in verse 32 of Acts 20, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. You, my friend, be sanctified today. You're already a believer? Praise be to the Lord. Let's stay sanctified. You see? This inheritance, very interesting how it's used here in Numbers 26. For the very first time, for the very first time in reference to this uh, promise given to, uh, in order to, uh, this, this generation that's entering the promised land. It's used before in terms of like a, an, a, uh, an inheritance, but specifically for the promised land, it's given to this generation, not the generation that dies in the wilderness, but the generation that moves on into the wilderness to the promised land. And so we see here in verse 54, going back to Numbers 26, we see here in verse 54, To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. This is translates as by stone in the Hebrew. You know, sometimes people ask me, like, well, what do the lots mean? Well, it's it's... I don't like to explain it like this, but I don't have another way to explain it. But it's like dice. I don't like to say dice because that implies like, you know, it's gambling by, by chance. This is happening. But they were stones like dice. You know, like how in dice you, 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 you toss the dice and then it rolls, you know, one, two, three, whatever it rolls onto. But that's what it was like with these stones. They were kind of like, they weren't dice, but they were kind of like a similar concept where, you know, these holy men, they would pray. And seek the guidance of the Lord. And then they would ask, okay, Lord, what do we do? And they would cast lots. And so they throw out the lots. And then, you know, the stone would, you know, whatever it would turn up. They say, okay, this is what we're going to do. So I don't, I don't like to say like, like dice because it's like, it's like a gamble. But with the Lord, there is no gamble with the Lord. There is no Old Testament, New Testament. There is no gamble with the Lord. I mean, you stay obedient to the Lord. The gamble is being disobedient to the Lord. That's the gamble. Worshipping Baals, that's the gamble. Worshipping the Lord, no gamble at all. That's where safety is. That's where shalom, shalom is in accordance with our study last week. Peace. Peace. Verse 55, but the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit, they shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. Now, 
for the priesthood. Remember, the priesthood wasn't included in the 12 tribes because they have a, there's this, like this uh, uh, special group of people in accordance to the Levitical priesthood and the Kohanim because they have a special task. Now, the special task is to lead Israel in the ways of the Lord. And, you know, the, the temple worship, the, the processes, I, I don't like to say processes, but, you know, to explain it, like the, you remember our study in Leviticus, all the the processes of temple worship, the processes, you know, somebody is in sin. There's that cleansing aspect. Okay, let's get this guy cleaned up. Let's get this lady cleaned up. I don't like to call it process, but I, you know, I, in explaining it, I call it a process, but it's holy. It's very holy. Just like in accordance to the new covenant. To call it a process, it's like, well, you know, I get that you're calling it a process, but it's, it's holy. It's that consecration unto the Lord. And that's what this special people, the Levitical priesthood, the Kohanim, they have a task for people to be right with the Lord. Old Testament, New Testament, that's the objective, for people to be right with the Lord. How does that happen? Repentance. You see? Obedience unto the Lord. Where there's disobedience, okay, Old Testament, okay, let's get you cleaned up. New Testament, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Same. You see, different processes, you know, there's no, we don't sacrifice, we don't sacrifice animal because we have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Even the sacrifices in the Old Testament are a typology of Jesus Christ. The lamb, the turtle dove, the ox, the goat, typology of Jesus Christ. The grain, typology of Jesus Christ. You see? And so he says here in verse 57, And these are those who were numbered of the Levites according to their families of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites, of Kohath. This is Moses, were, you know, Moses' uh, family. The family of the Kohathites, of Merari, the family of the Merarites. Verse 58. These are the families of the Levites, the family of Nib Nib Nibnites, the family of Hebronites, the family of the Melites, the family of the Mushites, and the family of the Korathites. This is the disobedient family, Korah, Korah, who led the rebellion, disobedience in the priesthood. You see? Old Testament example of a false teacher, a false prophet, a false teacher, a disobedient uh, ministry leader. Just like, you know, Brother Paul says that wolves will come out even from among you at the, to the elders of Ephesus. Same exact thing. The, the only way for you to know a false teacher and a true teacher, you have to know the Bible. You have to know the Word. You have to be a Berean. You study the Word. You see? And then you're going to know. You're going to listen to a preacher. You're going to listen to a guy give a sermon. He's okay, this guy's on point. You're going to listen to another one. This guy's in crazy town. You see? That's how you know. Korah, uh, 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 he was in crazy town, but he still led the rebellion. And the Lord responded. That's what's going to happen in the last days. These false teachers, they will be exposed. And as they're exposed, their listeners, their followers are going to have to make a choice. Am I still going to follow them knowing that there's going to be judgment, knowing that the earth is going to swallow them? <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, to align with what happened with Korah and his followers? Or 
Am I going to be where the sound doctrine is? People are going to have to make a choice. And our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. 100% Jesus Christ. So you have here, among the Levitical priesthood, the family of the Korah. Now that's Korah. Don't forget Korah's kids. His beautiful, beautiful, beautiful children who made a choice for themselves. You know, Papa wants to be in crazy town. Okay, let him be in crazy town. I'm going to worship the Lord. Papa says Moses is crazy. No, Papa, you're crazy. I'm going to be with Moses. Papa says Aaron is crazy. No, Papa, you're crazy. I'm going to be with Aaron and Moses. Where it's safe. You see, this younger generation, if you're young and you're listening, you have a choice to make. You see, this guy wants to be crazy, let him be I mean, it's sad, you know. They make their choice, you make your choice. And Kohath begot Amram. Now we see a little bit of history here in verse 59. The name of Amram's wife was, was Yaqabed. Yaqabed. This is the mom and dad of Moses. Amram and Yaqabed. Mom and dad. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful children. Remember the hardship of Yaqabed? When the command was given, you know, kill all the baby boys. Kill all the baby boys. And, you know, it's like, whoa, that's hardcore. All these baby boys were being killed. And she had to, like, give birth in secret. And the beautiful wet nurses. The, 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 uh, uh, you know, the, uh, giving birth. I mean, the Yaqabed gave birth, but I mean, like, you know, the, that, I don't know what it's called, what they do, but, you know, to help in the birthing process, you know, when the baby's born. And they stood up. They stood up to Pharaoh. (laughs) These beautiful, beautiful warrior women. They stood up. You know who stood up to Pharaoh? Nobody. You know why? You die. These women. They stood up to Pharaoh. You see how hardcore that is? These beautiful, beautiful, tough warrior women. They made their stand. And look at what the Lord did. Providing safety for Moses. The faith of uh, uh, Moses' mom and dad. This is we read in Hebrews 11. How faith beget faith beget faith. For the generation of righteous, you read Romans or Hebrews 11. And what do you see? Faith begetting faith, begetting faith. And it leads up all the way to you and me. This beautiful family we have under righteousness. Under Jesus Christ. The patriarch of our family. Now if you're female, oh, I don't like that with the patriarchy. Get a new patriarch. Oh, I don't like the patriarchy. Look, my dad did this, and yeah, it's messed up. Okay, I get it. Get a new patriarch. That's a poor example of a patriarch. Get a new patriarch. Oh, I'm feminist. I'm female. I'm feminist, and all these things. I get it. Why are you a feminist? Well, this, that. I get it. I understand. If I were in your shoes, I'd be, I'd I'd have the same gripes. But the remedy remains. Get a new patriarch, capital P. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you. You have to deny the things of the feminist movement the same way people have to deny the crack, deny the sex, deny the drugs, deny the alcohol, deny all these things. And Jesus Christ alone. 
worship him. The better patriarch. The only patriarch. The true patriarch. In accordance with the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see? Verse 59, the name of Amram's wife was Jacobed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. You see? This, look at these beautiful kids, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. To Aaron were born Nadab, Anabihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. <clears throat> Verse 61, and Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. This is from our study in Leviticus 10. And so you look at this in verse 60, you have Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. So you take out Nadab because he offered strange fire. You take out Abihu because he offered strange fire. You know, the Lord, is, the Lord killed them by fire. You say, whoa, that's hardcore. Well, what did they do? They offered strange fire, and the Lord is reactionary. You see? You say, well, wait a second. Where was the grace and mercy for Nadab and, Nadab and Abihu? Where was the grace and mercy? That's kind of hardcore. Well, they were among the priesthood. And even, you know, Aaron, even Aaron himself, you know, the, the, the priest, the high priest. Don't forget, even he sinned with the golden calf, and he repented. And there's this... Uh, this higher judgment, the greater judgment upon teachers, ministry leaders. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. Because we're held to a stricter judgment. Teachers held to a stricter accountability. Because there's stricter accountability, Nedaba Nebihu, they offer a strange fire, Okay. The Lord killed them. That's why these false teachers, false prophets, they're going to grow. They're going to grow in number in the last days, leading people into being apostate. They're going to lead people into apostasy, which is the great falling away as prophesied. These things must happen. But you know what it shows? Absolutely zero fear of the Lord. Zero fear of the Lord. I don't understand. I understand it. I understand how, how it happens, why it happens, but like for these people, don't they even have like just a little ounce of fear of the Lord? No. They think they're getting away with it, but they won't get away with it. You see? Just like Nadab and Abihu. And so you have the kids of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now you scratch out Nadab and Abihu because, you know, the Lord is reacting. I don't mean scratch out. Like, you know, that sounds like, wow, you know, I don't want to gloss over what happened. That's terrible what happened. Just listen to our study through Leviticus 10. But then you have Eleazar, who's now high priest. Aaron died because he was old. Nabihu and Nadab and Abihu, they died because they offered prophet. The Lord killed them. Now you have in this lineage of righteousness, you have Eleazar. So say you're a kid 
Say you're of the younger generation and your brothers and sisters have gone off into crazy town. You make your stand. Look at Nadab, firstborn, supposed to set the example for his siblings. Abihu, the older, you know, not the eldest, but one of the olders, an example for the children, for the, for the siblings. Were they an example? No. I mean, they were an example of what not to do. And Eleazar, okay, uh, you know. Nadab and Abihu, they want to do that? Nope, I'm not doing that. So just for the younger generation, you know, you, yeah, mom and dad want to go off into crazy town? You make your stand. Brothers and sisters want to go off into crazy town? You make your stand. Just like Eleazar. I mean, look at the family of Aaron. This, these beautiful promises, these beautiful, this beautiful lineage, but then at the same time, it's not without casualties. And I don't mean to say casualties to gloss over what happened, but you know, the Lord is reactionary. What did they do? What did Nadab do? What did Abihu do? They offered strange fire to the Lord, disobedience unto the Lord. And they were in the ministry. You see, you have to make your choice. Now, if you're in a situation, if you're a ministry leader, and you yourself are a type of Nadab and Abihu, you better repent right here, right now. You know, rejoice because of the grace of God that he didn't kill you, you know, last week, last month. Rejoice. You repent first and then you rejoice. Get right with the Lord. Don't play games with Him. You repent and you might have to step down. I mean, if you're teaching false doctrine, you might have to step down. I mean, you step down for sure. But if you're playing games with the Lord, repent. Maybe a hiatus for a little bit. Get your heart right with the Lord and then come back and teach righteousness. Teach the word of God. Even when people hate you. Even when, even when people want to kill you. You teach. If the Lord called you. If the Lord didn't call you. Step down. The Lord has to call you. Verse 62 in closing. Now, those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. So you wonder, like, wait a second, how could the priesthood not have, a, not have an inheritance? Now, don't forget that the, the law has provisions for the priesthood where, you know, a, a poor, like, so you have these parcels of land in the promised land. So... In a, it, among all the tribes, there's portioning off for the priesthood. There, there is portioning off. Like if, 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 if a rich guy wants to give, you know, there's offerings. But if the rich guy wants to offer uh, a property to the priesthood, that becomes, that becomes uh, you know, a, a portioned off for the priesthood. I mean, carnally speaking... It's easy to understand the waywardness of the priesthood when we get into Jesus Christ, the, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. It's easy to understand. 
because the flesh, the carnal nature. And you, 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 Matthew 23, when the Lord has a heavy, heavy, heavy indictment against the religious leaders. Woe to you, hypocrites, exclamation point. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. Matthew 23. Read it. You see, like, whoa, that's hardcore. That's so mean-spirited. No, it's not mean-spirited. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. What did they do? What did these religious leaders do? They failed to teach righteousness. You see? The entry of blindness unto the camp of Israel. But Scripture has to be fulfilled. This blindness unto Israel, it will be removed at the fullness of the Gentiles in accordance with Romans 11 verse 25. Remember, we studied that. A little refresher course. Every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. In verse 63, these are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. In closing... But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. So verse 64, Moses and Aaron. And now that's the first census. Verse 63, we see Moses and Eleazar. The next generation, the second census. Verse 65, for the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. A typology in the Old Testament of a generation that doesn't experience death. Just like, just like in the last days. A generation that will not see death. The resurrection. Praise be unto the Lord. God bless you, beautiful people of the way. I love you.